Okay, go ahead. This is Burn This Book, a banned books book club, <laughs> where we, Nicole and Eden, read a banned or challenged book each month and discuss its meaning, impact, and censorship to make it more accessible for all readers. This month's book is In the Night Kitchen by Maurice Sendak, which was published in 1974 children. It's a picture <laughs> book. This book has been challenged for two decades. Yeah, so... A little background of this that I thought was really cool when I was doing research. We should go into plot summary first. Oh, let's do some plot summary. So obviously, spoiler alert. um, It's in the night kitchen. It's in the night kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) It's called In the Night Kitchen, and it's about a little boy named Mickey who is asleep in bed, and so he starts dreaming. He dreamt... That he fell out of his clothes and fell into the night kitchen into a big batter where three kind of ominous giant bakers bake mm-hmm. him into a cake, um, thinking that he was the milk or something. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a big ingredient mix up. There's an ingredient mix up, <laughs> and Mickey um, escapes, gets some milk for the bakers, and they finally bake some cake. And he finds himself back in his bed, all nice and dry. Uh, Everyone had cheered him on, and then um, it ends with, that's why we have cake for breakfast. And I had cake for breakfast the day after that. Did you really? Pancakes. Oh, pancake. Um, Yeah, so it's a pretty, it feels like a harmless story. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Dun dun dun. There's some <laughs> more insidious sides. There actually isn't, though. It's just like a story about a kid who has, whether it's a night terror or whether it's this mystical experience in the middle of the night. Um, we don't know, and I don't know if that really matters. What, what matters, though, is that the kid's okay in the end. Mm-hmm. And um, it's important to also note that Maurice Sendak is the writer of and illustrator of Where the Wild Things Are. And so his whole career was a little bit controversial because he kept putting children in danger in his stories. And people found, like, a lot of offense to that. Um, But at the same time, Where the Wild Things Are is, like, a national treasure. Mm -hmm. People love it. We love talking about it. We find, like, it's a really healing book for a lot of people. It talks about trauma. It talks about family relationships. It does all of that. And we could argue that In the Night Kitchen kind of does the same thing. Yeah. Just with different... With just with a different plot, yeah. In, in fact, there's a. Um, I found out that those two books are part of an unofficial trilogy. So Ooh. there's a third book called Outside Over There, um, that I haven't read yet. It's another picture book, but it's about uh, a girl who is dealing with a younger sibling. So these are all things that are relevant to. I, I think like a mm-hmm. ghoul or a gnome steals her her sibling or something, mm-hmm. and she has to deal with it. But I found this one quote in a book called The Art of Maurice Sendak, mm-hmm. um, where Maurice talks about these three books, and he says um, that all three books are variations on the same theme, how children master various feelings, danger, boredom, fear, frustration, jealousy, and manage to come to grips with the, with the realities of their lives. So just like going along with what you were saying about how 
this seems to be a book about a boy seeming to process things. Mm-hmm. And kind of going along with that, um, for some background on Maurice, he grew up, so he's Jewish, and he grew up hearing from his parents who heard mm-hmm. from coworkers about family members dying in over in Nazi Germany mm-hmm. during the Holocaust. And so I am kind of just putting my imaginative space out there and thinking <laughs> of, like, this is Mickey processing the fact that he heard someone talking mm-hmm. to his parents about how they're putting kids in ovens. Mm-hmm. And I totally see this as a boy's um, attempt at processing what he's hearing. Like, the, the bakers in this book uh, have little Hitler mustaches. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard not to draw that comparison just with, like, the benefit of hindsight. Oh, it's such, it's not a very subtle. Yeah. Yeah, it's not very subtle. And even in an interview, he does draw that, that likeliness that, like, that, well, everything in his books has to do with his own family dynamic and what he went through. Being the child of immigrants and not being in a totally happy home, his, he didn't really have a good relationship with his parents. His dad, he really didn't have a relationship with at all. He was, like, there's a lot of like physical abuse, you know, and um, and there was just a lot of that stuff. And then also the trauma of being Jewish in America, in addition to having family members dying in the Holocaust. I mean, he even talks about that and how the Holocaust, that was such a formative real- reality for him. And he brings up this point in multiple of his interviews, including in one in NPR in 2005, where he says, kids are so shrew. Shrewd? Shrewd. 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 <laughs> The taming of the shrew. Yeah. <laughs> Kids are so... Just nag, nag, nag. <laughs> Kids are so shrewd. And he said in another interview, he said, um, Kids don't... And here's... Let me grab the quote. Exactly. But he said this. He goes, I refuse to lie to children. I refuse to cater to the bullshit of innocence. Um, which just speaks to the fact that like he understood that kids go through a lot of stuff. They hear things, they're scared of things, they have to deal with those feelings. And if they don't have someone to talk to about those feelings, it's going to be processed somehow. And so a lot of these books are about dreams happening. And, um, and like he also talks about, sorry, I'm giving you a lot of background on Maurice. Yeah. But he talks about when the Lindenberg baby was kidnapped, he was a very sickly kid himself, Maurice was. And so finding out that this really wealthy, you know, waspy kid was kidnapped was really traumatic for him because he thought like if this kid could die, then I'm clearly a sitting duck. Like <laughs> I'm not healthy, I'm not wealthy, I'm not anything. And as a very young boy, he really put himself into the Lindenbergs uh, Lindenberg boys, like he really projected that experience into his own life where he just felt like his death was imminent all the time. He had this really intense dread as a little boy. And like, and I think that that, from my experience with kids, like they're not, they don't just live in these like fairy tale lands. A lot of the fairy tales they create in order to cope with their realities. Mm-hmm. But like kids aren't stupid. And and Maurice Sendak is such was such a firm believer that they deserve to know the whole truth, and that they deserved to tackle these complicated feelings in these spaces like books. And a lot of parents were really mad. Like the reason why Where the Wild Things Are and all those books were like really controversial was because it put it 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 would stress children out <laughs> to read. I mean, yeah, the. Children are going to be inevitably stressed out by the world we live in. <laughs> like, 
I remember a family member of my spouse, her child started obsessing about death around four years old. So mm-hmm. like already at that age, they're grasping these really somewhat high concept ideas for a child. <laughs> and she would end each night, like when she's saying goodnight to her mom, mm-hmm. she'll say, I hope you don't die tonight. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh. And so it just kind of points to like, these are, children are going to find things out. They're going to think about things, whether or not we are there to to help guide that or not. So hopefully we're all there to guide that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, to guide it to a better space and a, a safer place for kids as well. Mm. Yeah, and I think um, I think that there's this weird thing right now, especially with all these books being banned, where... And we keep hearing in the media that, like, these, especially white parents, are afraid to talk about these difficult conversations about our history, our country's history, or have them read these books because they're afraid that it'll make their kids feel uncomfortable or shame or nervous. Like, (laughs) that's silly because it's like... these kids already feel all these things. These kids are aware of stuff. Mm-hmm. Just like that little girl is very aware of death at a very young age. I mean, I remember my first like formative memory was um, was Columbine. I was I'm from Littleton, Colorado, and I was in first grade when the Columbine shootings happened. And I have like really intense images in my mind still today of Patrick England, Patrick Ireland. Excuse me, not Patrick England. There's a boy in my high school named Patrick England, <laughs> Patrick <laughs> Ireland, um, like hanging out the window and like just the bodies and it was just really like that is a really big deal memory for me of seeing that on the news and that was the first news thing that I like remember at this point in my life and I like we're aware of stuff we live in this world and we we take in a lot more and if we don't have a place to process it or to communicate about it like it's just that's garbage I and I needed to see those kind of experiences mirrored and have examples of these other kids who felt like they could cope or deal with it. Mm-hmm. In the book, Mickey finds, like, a solution. He finds the milk. He, like, switches it before he has to go in the oven. Mm-hmm. And he, like, solves the problem. And he's really brave. And he's just, like, the images are so cute. They he are. has these, like, little closed eyes while he's just, like, having a good time with the, <laughs> with the cooks. Flying on the milk sauce, milk bottle and whatnot. Like, just the cutest little, like, closed eyes just content looking face but like those are good examples of courage like where the wild things are he looks the beast in the face and like it makes himself a wilder thing than them so they're afraid of him and it's just as a kid those are really important examples and oh Mm -hmm. so tender but the images are so cute they are so cute so cute i do love his illustrations quite a lot Ugh. Um, I was watching some uh, Col- a Colbert Report interview. Ooh. It was pretty funny. <laughs> it was quite hilarious. Uh, Colbert got Maury Sendak to sniff Sharpie for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> so they got that on air. But uh, one little quote that it got from Maurice from that interview was this. He said, There's something in this country that is so opposed to understanding the complexity of children. It's quite amazing. Mm. It's hard to tell what he meant by it's quite amazing, whether he's amazed at the complexity of children or if he's amazed at the thing that <laughs> <laughs> like, parents are so opposed, or this country is so opposed to understanding. But either way, like, 
just piggybacking off of mm-hmm. what you're saying, Nicole, like, I think we have a unique experience as friends having been, mm-hmm. like, having 9-11 as, like, a big backdrop to yeah. our upbringing. And then um, later on, I, I was in college at this point, I believe, mm-hmm. just having the Sandy Hook shooting kind of bookend my childhood. I, I guess I include college in my childhood. I Honestly, we're all getting younger every day. Yeah. But also, the Sandy Hook shooting was in your community. It was in my community. Yeah. yeah. That you grew up in. Um, but to, to, to have, like, this is, oh, well, to quote Childish Gambino, <laughs> this is America today. Like. Yeah. And I also think, like, America's always been... <laughs> there has always been a lot of heaviness and that children are very aware of. And I think coddling it, all that does is cut off communication between the parents and the child. Because the child is still going to be aware of it, whether they're on TikTok or not. You don't have to be on TikTok to know that really scary stuff is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a quote in a, a Guardian article I'm going to read um, where uh, Maurice Sendak, it was just like a question interview, question answer kind of interview. And he explains, he was like, my father belonged to a Jewish social club and there, his parents were Polish immigrants. I think we already said that. Um, he said the day of my bar, uh, bar mitzvah, he got word that he had no longer a family. Everyone was gone and he laid down in bed and they were gone because of the Holocaust. Um, and he laid down in bed. I remember this so vividly. And my mother said to me, Papa can't come. And I was having the big party at the Colonial Club, the old mansion in Brooklyn. And I said, how can Papa not come to my bar mitzvah? And I screamed at him, you got to get up. You got to get up. And of course he did. And the only thing I remember is looking at him when the guest burst into, for he's a jolly good fellow. And my father's face was vivid, livid. And I knew I had done something very bad that I had made him suffer more than he had to. This 13-year-old, um, I think that's a Yiddish word. I don't know what it was. Man. <laughs> um, and he just explains, like, a lot of his childhood was peppered with these very traumatic events that he felt like he was causing more harm in. And um, and even, like, the rest of his life was hard. Maurice Sandek um, found a partner in this man named Eugene um, who was, like, the love of his life. From what I understand. I hope I'm not, like, just inferring that he was love of his life. Maybe they were just, like, cute friends and he wasn't the real love. And there was another love that <laughs> we don't sure know about. I think they lived together till They lived death. together till death. He, um, Eugene died, like, um, I want to say, like, 10 or 15 years before Maurice Sendak passed away. I'm not positive. He lived, well, so Maurice Sendak lived the rest of his life. Um, they were together for 50 years, him and Eugene, and they lived together in Connecticut, and he lived the rest of his life um, just, like, missing Eugene. They never had children, but his whole, like, you, I feel like a lot of these stories are just Maurice Sendak feeling very othered and finding a lot of safety in these stories and, and in these, like, the ability to tell these stories. And he talks about how a lot of children write to him these letters asking him, like, hard questions that they can't ask their own parents. And it's because Maurice Sendak didn't mess around. Like, he was serious in his books. He told the truth. And I, like, I don't know. I just think there's so much value in telling kids the truth so that they can, they will feel safer if they know what's actually true. 
It doesn't mean that they'll feel shame about ancestors' choices. Mm-hmm. It empowers people to actually make their own choices. That was all over the place. <laughs> and I apologize. So where do you want to go from here, Eden? Yeah. Well, uh, I looked up. He, he Eugene died five yeah. years before Maurice. Oh, only five. Okay, never mind. It wasn't a big deal. Just kidding. And five years is still very long. And I think um, something along with that, I, I find it really poignant that Maurice talks so much about, like, telling kids the mm-hmm. truth because... Um, I don't think his parents ever knew he was gay. So, like, he spent those 50 years with his partner. I don't know if the, should we cut this part out? Well, know. no, I don't think we should cut it out. Okay. I just don't know how to tie it back. <laughs> <laughs> because you're so out of control, Nicole. <laughs> you created watched, a web I of chaos. I watched you spiral, and I don't know how to get out. <laughs> Okay, go on, go on. Yeah, so to, I guess he emphasizes telling the truth because he knows how much agony living a lie is. Mm-hmm. I think living 50 years with his partner to be absolutely in love and found his life partner and lived together in my hometown, by the way. There's a lot of comebacks There's to Connecticut that we're going to find throughout this entire series. Um, Wait, I have to cut you off, though, because he says his parents never knew, not officially. Then he says, of course they knew, especially my father. My mother was so bewildering and strange and lived in another world, I don't know what she knew. Nothing was said, but if something had been said, I would have been thrown out of the house. And yet they met him, as in Eugene, and respected him. Mm. Strange. End quote. (laughs) It ends with strange. Strange. So they knew, but they, they didn't knew, talk but about they didn't it. Talk about it. Yeah. Well, he thinks they knew, but he doesn't know if his mom knew because he doesn't know what his mom knew. Yeah, that's interesting. Complicated family dynamics. Complicated family dynamics. Yeah. Um, but then that also adds, like, yeah, he had this whole world that his parents never talked to him about. Yeah. His books illustrate that. It's like, this is these are the things that kids think about when parents aren't around. Yeah, and what's interesting to me is that there isn't, he's not fatalist, like his books aren't like totally cynical. Mm-mm. Like the kid always finds a way to be really courageous, brave, and bold, and he always finds himself back in safety. And I think that that is like a really interesting lesson. It always works out well in the end. Mm-hmm. In his books, they never end with like spooky times. Like Roald Dahl can be kind of dark. I wouldn't say Maurice Sendak is dark. Mm -mm. I would say he's mystical and kind of like a a quirky, like, oh, man, this kid got into a kind of a scary scrape. But But he's in bed, cake free and dry. And we'll have cake in the morning. Exactly. And that's why he has cake in the morning. Yeah. 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 It always works out in the end. And it's always this. And the drawings, honestly, the illustrations are they're iconic. They're so beyond charming. And he all of those drawings and like ideas and characters come from family members of his that he found like very monstrous and gross looking or scary looking that as a child and like his like uncles and aunts and cousins that looked weird he'd put into his books and stuff like that. And I think like I don't know. I just I I'm flabbergasted why so many parents were so concerned about these books. Mm-hmm. I don't understand that. I'm not a parent, though. Well, I'm a parent. And I read this to my daughter. 
And what'd she say? And she loved it. She is 17 months. <laughs> so what did she say? <laughs> she said, goo goo gaga, which she literally is saying goo goo gaga these days. <laughs> really? So, That's so yeah. cute. It's oh so my cute. gosh. Um, that leads us to our next segment called, Why Do We Think This Book Was Banned? <laughs> um, so this one is tricky because Eden and I already knew why it was banned. Yeah. So we're kind of cheating with this one. Yeah. But we're not cheating for the other ones, okay? Um, and also, it's kind of obvious why it's, it's kind banned. of obvious, yeah. <laughs> so it's illustration-wise. It's not actually con- – it's not, like, plot-wise. So in the pictures – and we're going to use anatomically correct language here. Um, the little boy, Mickey, is nude, and Maurice Sendak drew a penis on him in all of his pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not, like, grotesque or graphic or anything like that. It's still in the same kind of animation, you know, like, style. Um, but this boy is naked. Mm-hmm. How else would he get cooked? Mm-hmm. No one wants clothing in that. Yeah. But he, like, kind of, does he fall out of his clothes in the first He falls page? out of his yeah, clothes. Yeah, he falls out of his clothes. And, um, people were very offended. They were, one argument was that... It would desensitize children to nudity, which is honestly a fair argument uh, with all the, like, the creepy predators and pedophiles that are out there. You don't want your kid to be – to normalize, like, being naked around other people. Mm-hmm. But another one is just, like, it's graphic, and the human body should be covered up. Modesty is best. Mm-hmm. And I don't think those are things that are on the minds of children. <laughs> <laughs> I think those are no. on the minds – of parents, and I think parents and librarians and community members are the ones pointing it out mm-hmm. because we have a lot of body shame <laughs> in our culture, mm-hmm. a lot of modesty issues. Mm-hmm. In America, it's yeah, and I also think like the second you say that it's bad, we have then chosen to sexualize this little body. Um, I think there's a difference between making sure your child is not comfortable being naked around a stranger. Mm-hmm. Or around a family member or, you know, like, making sure your child is not comfortable being around, like, people (laughs) Um, versus seeing an anatomically accurate picture of another boy that's not in a pornographic way at all. Like, Mm -hmm. there's nothing pornographic about it. There's, like, no detail. No. And there's not – and, like, the intention is also, like, it's just this little boy's body. Yeah. And, um – I don't want to make it sound. I you have to see the images. Yeah, because <laughs> the more we talk about it, it just yeah, sounds like we're justifying like pictures of children, but we're yeah. not. If you saw the image, it's a very like it's I it's not even something I like. I was like, whoa. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like a, some kooky illustrations. Yeah, I remember reading this in my piano teacher's house in Ridgefield, Connecticut, <laughs> <laughs> the place that Maurice Sendak passed away. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> Uh, and I remember my only thought about it was, cause there's a scene where Mickey is in the <laughs> jar of milk. Mm-hmm. My only thought is, ew, now he's going to get pee in the milk. <laughs> and like, that's my only thought. And this was like, yeah, middle school, high school. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing it with, like, friends in, like, a library and us, like, kind of giggling about it. But, like, it wasn't like, oh, this is so sexual or, like, oh, my gosh, what the heck? It was just, like, we've never seen an illustration. Like, that's so funny that they chose to do that. Yeah. And um, 
I feel like when parents really put a lot of pressure on it, it there's like a shame factor that comes out like, oh, and also it, it makes it feel like that image is then sexualized. And I don't like that. Like the attention that it was given kind of sexualized it. And even now knowing that some people are going to look at the image that way makes me feel very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Whereas the image doesn't make me feel uncomfortable, but like, ugh. It's the, I don't like the idea of a parent being like, ew. Yeah. That makes me feel gross. Yeah. It's the uh, don't think about the pink elephant idea. What I, is that idea? Like, if I tell you don't think about uh-huh. a pink elephant, you're going to inevitably think about a pink elephant. Oh, you're right. I did. Yeah. So it's just bringing attention to don't look at that penis. <laughs> gonna look at that penis why yeah. should i not look at the penis <laughs> my brother has a penis <laughs> you've said penis, penis like 15 times yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um i also think like what a great opportunity if you have this book in your home to read this with your child and then to talk about the right terms to use for your body mm-hmm. using introducing anatomically correct terms for the body and like healthy conversation about your child's body. (laughs) Like what a blessing would that be to get that out of the way? Mm -hmm. And you don't have to go into like the birds and the bees too early for a child, but like you can do that when it's appropriate. But I think a five-year-old should know exactly what their genitalia is called. I think that that's healthy. It's not only healthy. It's like the number one thing to do to prevent or or to, Mm -hmm. to detect sexual abuse actually. To be able to, like, point at, like, this happened. Mm-hmm. We can cut this part out. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is important, but I can get, like, This really... is really important. But, yeah, just, like, being able to name, yes, this happened, or mm-hmm. no, that didn't happen, mm-hmm. by using proper names instead of, oh, like, the pee-pee touched this pee-pee. Yeah. Where, Because like, you don't know. Be, you don't know what they mean about pee-pee. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I also think it starts a really great dialogue about your body with your parents, mm-hmm. which is so important. So important. For ages for your health. Yeah. And also just to have that dialogue so when um, when there is development happening or when that child goes through puberty and stuff like that, they can have safety in knowing exactly what's happening. Like you've created this bridge and opened this door to be able to have honest conversations that will make it a much healthier experience. Mm-hmm for that kid yeah and less shameful but parents human beings we like to inflict shame on things that innately don't have shame Mm -hmm. and that's what i feel banning and challenging in the night kitchen did yep when maurice sandak was asked about it um and there's a documentary called maurice sandak (laughs) 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 and i think uh spike jones directed it um because he was a big fan i mean he's the one that did wild where the wild things are but in um the documentary maurice sendak is asked about the choice to draw um mickey and he was like yeah i don't care i think like that's what a body is (laughs) it was just like so straightforward and so like yeah that's what a body is that's just like we have to get over it Mm -hmm. um and gosh i love him so there you go when we call it like if it feels pornographic to you as a parent then that's fine for you not to have your kid read it Mm -hmm. but that's not it's not your business how other people interpret it Mm -hmm. 
going through the libraries and painting diapers on or, <laughs> or burning them which feels like totally illegal like that's what feels like such a copyright because he's an illustrator you can't over like illustrate on top of his illustration yeah how does that work <laughs> maybe if you wrote on the cover by Mar- or, by Marie Sendak and me <laughs> a parent <laughs> and me mom <laughs> um moms are great though let's just get that straight mm-hmm but, um, no kid looked at it and was like, this is pornography. Mm-hmm. It was always a parent that found offense. Mm-hmm. It was. Mm-hmm. The, the Sendax editor had heard about the book burnings and he, she wrote to, her name's Ursula Nordstrom. She wrote to one of the librarians who burned a cop, who burned copies of In My Kitchen. And she mm-hmm. said, I think young children will always react with delight to such a book as In the Night Kitchen and that they will react creatively and wholesomely. It is only adults who ever feel threatened by Sendak's works. Oh my gosh, that's a good quote. That is a good quote. I'm going to cut everything else out. Yeah. (laughs) That's just the the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Anything else to add? No, other than, yeah, Marie Sendak, his book was first Banned or challenged, banned and challenged. Came out. Yeah, in the 1970s, and has continued to be so as parents continue to find out about it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, so it's just like a consistent cool ride for that book. Yeah, and Maurice Sendak does did never cared. He did not care about his books being banned or challenged. He was asked about it a lot, and he just did not care. It's like does not matter. Clearly, he wasn't in the business for the money. Mm -hmm. Um, but. We should close. Yeah, we should close. How do you want to close? Thanks for joining us on our first episode. Uh, thanks again also for your patience and in, in us being a bit rambly. Yeah. Um, oh, after I edit, we won't be rambly. Oh, Just after kidding. yeah, we're gonna be so eloquent after Nicole goes through this file and edits it. Burn This Book is produced by us, Nicola Corin and Eden Wen. Music written by me, Nicola Corin, and produced and performed by my dad, Frank.